the great debate. We're going to be taking a look at something here in Matthew 22, but first let me paint a picture here for you. See where you kind of fit into this, this picture. It's a family dinner, and it's not just your family in your home, it's extended family, so it's one of those big dinner gatherings, you know, maybe Thanksgiving or Christmas time. And then somebody starts to talk about politics or religion or social issues. And the debate begins. How do you react? Do you engage in the debate that's going on? Maybe you're the one that started it. Do you change the subject to the weather or to the Notre Dame game? Or do you run as fast as you can to the kitchen to help with the gravy? Who are you and where do you fit into this little picture here that I'm painting? You know, I'm sure there are some here who would engage in the debate. There was, there's probably some of you who would skedaddle into another room, maybe. You know, I can say I have to read the room. Sometimes I will engage depending on what's happening. And sometimes I may just crack open a beverage so that I can make it through. But think about it this way. Do you ever, have you, do you ever walk away from those family dinner gatherings thinking that you changed somebody's mind? Have you ever thought that? You know, many times all it does is just cause tension and another family gathering goes down the toilet. Am I right? <laughs> okay. You know, Jesus got dragged into a lot of debates while he was living on earth and, and doing his ministry during those three years. A lot of debates. And we're going to take a look at one of those that people are trying to drag Jesus into. And so before I start reading this text from Matthew 22, a little bit of context here. This event occurs on Tuesday of Holy Week. In other words, this is happening three days before Jesus is going to be killed in a brutal fashion on the cross. So it's important to know as we read this, this is the last ditch efforts of the Pharisees and other religious leaders to get Jesus because they can't stand him to get rid of him. So let's take a look at this here in Matthew chapter 22, beginning with verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances. All right, let's stop here. Go back one screen to leave that, leave that up there. The Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him. That's the way Matthew describes it. How to entangle Jesus. And the Pharisees are even plotting. We get a detail here from Matthew. And Luke doesn't give us this detail. With the Herodians... Now, to understand this, the Pharisees were all about the law. Not just God's law, but all the laws that they've added to God's law. They don't like the Roman rule. 
They don't want to abide. They don't like the fact that the Romans are in charge. Now, on the other hand, you got the Herodians. They're all about King Herod and the line of Herod. And they're all about working with the Roman leaders because they're, they're the ones that are brown nose. They like to kiss you know what so that they can have power. And that's who these Herodians are. So we got polar opposite groups here. So, to just to give you another little context here, this would be like IU and Purdue plotting together to take down Notre Dame. That's, that's what we got going on here. These religious leaders dislike Jesus so much, they are willing to work with their rivals in order to take Jesus down. And did you catch how they approached Jesus with the words that are still up there on the screen? With flattery. They say, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances. Is this a sincere thing? Is this sincere flattery? No, I think it was said with a bit of sarcasm. And of course, Jesus can see right through this. Although everything they just said there is true about Jesus. And the ironic thing is it's the exact opposite of how the Pharisees and the Herodians and the other religious leaders are acting. But here they come. They're trying to butter Jesus up. So now let's get the question in verse 17. Here it comes. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? These people that are asking this question are not at all interested in what Jesus really thinks. All they're trying to do is entangle Jesus in his words. It's one of those gotcha questions that they're trying to get Jesus with. The Jews, the Pharisees, they detested the Roman imposed tax that they had to pay because they didn't think they should have to abide by the Roman rule. And in fact, it was just a reminder to them that the Romans were in charge. And so if Jesus answered one way to this question, all the Jews would be mad at him for choosing Rome over them. And if Jesus answered the other way, if he answered no to this question, then the Herodians would go and tattle to the Roman leaders that Jesus is not abiding by the Roman rule. So they think they got Jesus because they got him in one of those, no matter how he answers, he's in trouble questions. They thought they had him entangled. And here's a note for you in your notes. Jesus, just another reminder, Jesus is always in charge and cannot be entangled by anything. Then and now, he's in charge. So let's look at how Jesus responds here in these last verses. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? 
show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. You know, the way that Jesus responds to this question is pure genius. First thing to notice, by the way, he never answers their question. But he has a couple questions of his own. See, Jesus is in charge of what's going on here. I want to focus on two of the things here that Jesus responds with. Two things that really struck me as I read through this this Matthew chapter 22 passage and the first one is the popular thing we've all heard right render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's you know when we hear this this quoted it's usually stopped right here even though it's not the end of Jesus' sentence we'll get to that in a second But usually this is what we like to focus on. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. This is a real well-known statement. You've all heard of it, I'm sure, right? And so what is going on here is this is only the minor point that Jesus is making. This isn't the the main point of this whole passage. Like a lot of times we like to make it. This is only a minor point. Jesus is briefly addressing our duty as residents in a government. That's all he's doing. He's briefly addressing our responsibility to the government. So whoever the Caesar is over us, no matter where we are, what time, whenever it is, any particular time, we are to pay the taxes to that government. You see, government is a thing instituted by God himself and if you want to read more about that later you can check out Romans chapter 13 and it's a good thing right that all governments run efficiently and with the best interests of the people correct you're laughing you see the government may be doing a bad job or a good job at any particular time They may be asking too much or too little of taxes. Whatever. The point here is that nations need governments as much as we may not like that because otherwise there would be complete chaos and anarchy in our world. And governments require taxes. It's just the way it is in this world. And Jesus is briefly addressing this that, yes, it is our duty to obey these governing authorities and pay our taxes. And remember, this is only the minor point here that Jesus is making. There's a second half to this sentence that a lot of times gets left off here. And it's right there up on the screen for you. And to God... 
the things that are God's. This is the major point of this passage, of this whole text that I've read here. This is the major point here. And let's be honest anyway, whether we're paying taxes to our government, whether we're doing whatever, all things are God's anyway, including you. All of our money, all of our stuff, all of everything in this world is already God's anyway. Even the taxes that we are giving to our government, it's all his. This is his world, we're just living in it. But there's a second thing that Jesus said before this that really struck me, and this isn't even the major point, but it's something that struck me and convicted me, and maybe I can do the same to you. And it's when he was brought this coin, and he had that question for him, whose image and likeness is that? And so I have a question for you, because I took this as a question that was to me. I know that's not Jesus' point, but Scripture, the Holy Spirit uses Scripture to, to speak to us. And this is what the question I have for you here this morning. Who or what inscription is imprinted on you? Is it yourself? Is it the amount of money you have? Is it the job you have? Is it the government? Is it your health? Maybe it's the relationships in your life. Your family. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's some kind of other hobby that's imprinted on you. You know, a God is defined as that which we put our hope in. That which we put number one in our lives. So who or what inscription is imprinted on you? Is it any one of these things? Or is it Jesus? I'm sure we would all say Jesus, just like the kids in the children's message like to answer Jesus before Megan gets to the punchline. Because they know that's the right answer, right? We would all say Jesus. Would anybody be able to tell that Jesus is the one that's imprinted on you? Or would they be able to tell one of those other things seems to be the most important thing in your life? You know, this question really goes into what Jesus said. And give to God the things that are God's. The fact of the matter is we were imprinted with the divine name when we were baptized. And by the way, if anybody has not been baptized, please let me know and we got to fix that. But when we were at the baptismal font, maybe it was this one, maybe it was at some other church. When you were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that divine name was imprinted, tattooed onto you. That's whose inscription is on you. When you were washed clean and made His, can anybody tell that that's what is imprinted on you? 
or do you just change it from day to day? You are God's child. This is our identity. We have been given our identity. It says in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is your identity. Our identity does not lie in our money or our job or our family or our status or the government or the, our health or whatever because all of those things are going to let us down at some point. God never lets you down. And this is the identity that we have been given. So when someone asks you, whose likeness and inscription is imprinted on you, you can boldly say without any shame that you are God's child, beloved by him. We are his child. We are Jesus' brother or sister. Because of what Jesus did for us on that cross, he's made us his own. He died and shed his blood for you, and that is our identity, and don't ever forget it. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this day in awe, praise, and extreme thanks 